What happens if you order a vodka martini shaken not stirred in a Weatherspoons? Find out on this week's Pod 20. Hi, I'm Graham Mack, and also on the show, what should the boss of the BBC do about Prince William accusing them of causing his parents' divorce and playing a part in the events that led towards his mother's death? I'll ask James Ashton from the podcast Leading with James Ashton. And I'll talk to a bloke who is detested by the convicted murderer, Oscar Pistorius. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester, Birmingham and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now, and at number 20, Sword and Scale, the true crime podcast that covers the dark side of humanity and human nature. The worst monsters are real. 19. The Jordan B. Peterson Podcast, enlightening discourse that will change the way you think. Number 18, Fern Cotton, Happy Place. Fern talks to incredible people about life, love, loss and everything in between. 17, Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald, Scrubs co-stars and real-life best friends Zach Bramph and Donald Faison relive the hit TV show one episode at a time. Number 16. Two Trillion Thoughts, which is hosted by the broadcaster and comedian Griff. Griff, you've done a lot of stand-up in South Africa, and most people there love you. But there is one South African who hates your guts, and his name is Oscar Pistorius. Yes, me! <laughs> You're right! <laughs> so... So, <laughs> it's such a good setup, Greg. <laughs> that was good. Um, uh, where does Oscar Pistorius is the dude that was in the Olympics from South Africa with the with the legs? He the had his leg. Yeah. So he was like the first person that was disabled that they let be in the Olympics, right? Instead of the um um the the handicap Olympics. I can't think of it right now or the Paralympics. Just, he, yeah. Paralympics. Yeah, yeah. He was the first person that, you know, kind of crossed over uh into the Olympics. He's a superstar. Yeah. He was he was everything. He didn't win nothing, but it, he was such a big deal because his confidence and he was he was actually really, really fast with them things uh and gave people a close scare. Well, later he killed his girlfriend on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. And then instead he didn't and blah, 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 blah. Big court case. It was on, uh, it was televised court case. He is South Africa's OJ Simpson. Yeah. Let's just say that. Yeah. Like straight up. Yeah. Well, I think I'm performing on Valentine's Day in South Africa. Right. And the, the the white people in South Africa are called Afrikaans. The Afrikaans are mixed with German and Dutch. So they're pretty big people. Um, uh, Oscar, of course, is Afrikaans, one of their most famous sons, who they used to like, but now they, you know. Yeah, being a murderer well, will put you off, people. Yeah. yeah. So I'm doing this whole bit 
about Oscar is funny to me. I've done it before on TV. Everybody's laughing. But is this table that was in the front. It was like 12 people at this table. And I'm telling the Oscar joke and everybody around them is laughing. Right. Right. But this table is like this. <laughs> and some of them are even going. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Don't do that joke. And I'm like, I, first of all, I don't know. you. I'm not. Stop it. This joke is funny. I'm halfway in. It's ending. It's happening today. Well, I learned later that everybody at that table knew Oscar Pistorius. I think one of them was his best friend. The other, it was a girl that it was his cousin. It was basically Oscar's table. So they go to the manager and say, man, this dude, he sucks. He does this black American, woo, woo, woo. So Joe Parker, comedian and <laughs> comedy club owner, he, he pays me out, you know, for two weeks. And he's he he's trying not to laugh. He's like, Grip, you never going to believe who called me yesterday. And uh, I was like, I don't know. Jacob Zuma, that was their president. He's like, mm-mm. Oscar Bastoris. I said, for reals? What'd he say? He said, um, he hates you first, uh, number one. <laughs> And then, and then he asked, "Could you not have Black Americans talk about me in Africa?" <laughs> so me and Joe are in tears. We are <laughs> crying. I said, "Joe, what he say? What he say?" Joe said, "Hello, this is Oscar Pistorius." <laughs> Hey, Joe, I'm a big fan of yours, but not the black American who was there yesterday. That was, I wish I was leaving like on the flight at 8 p.m. I wish he would have called the day before so I could have said that as my last joke on oh, the way out. Yeah. Oh, man, stop it. Yeah. That was, that was comedy gold right there. Was Oscar it ever? Does hate me, ladies. <laughs> Griff's Two Trillion Thoughts is at number 16 this week on the Pod 20. At 15, On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. 14, The Witness in His Own Words. In 2005, Joseph Callaghan's testimony helped convict two drug-dealing gangsters for murder, and he became the youngest person ever to enter the Witness Protection Program in Ireland. Now, as the men he put away agitate for release, he tells his extraordinary life story in his own words for the first time. Number 13. Drama Queens, with Brooke, Peyton and Haley. At 12. Comfort Eating, with Grace Dent. 11. Leading with James Ashton. James, Prince William has blamed BBC failings over the Martin Bashir interview with his mother for fueling her paranoia and worsening his parents' relationship, which eventually led to their divorce. Now, Tim Davey is the leader of the BBC. What should he be doing to lead them out of this awkward situation? 
you know, I'm a big fan of the BBC and I think it is uh, really, it's tip, it's peak BBC, as some people say on, on social media, isn't it? This is the, um, the BBC kind of flogging itself um, a little bit after, um, you know, a huge cock up many, many years ago. I think, I think what you shouldn't do is, um, is throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, this is, this is something that affects news and current affairs and it's 25 years ago. Um, and I don't think it should be, you know, a stick to flog the whole of the BBC to, um, you know, cut the license fee, um, into ribbons. I think there are things that you can do around, um, editorial standards but really you it's very difficult to correct something that happened 25 years ago i think already the standards are um you know are better they've been forced to be better um you know by the by the way the media has gone and they've already got oversight from ofcom so i think i think tim needs to um you know engage with everyone and and uh, you know trying to lay everyone's fears including the, including the royal family but i'm not sure a huge huge amount needs to change Mm. What do you think? I don't know. Well, I've I've worked at very low level BBC. Lo- I've worked in BBC local radio, and and what always amazed me is when people go the BBC, and I would work at like BBC Radio Derby, and that would be like nothing like BBC Radio Merseyside, and that would be like nothing like BBC Radio London. Each had their own cultures and their own, often their own way of doing things. Even though a lot of them would say this is the BBC way, and I would know it's not because I worked at another station a couple of weeks ago, literally, because I freelanced for a little while on a lot of BBC stations and I don't think you can have a thing describe something as the BBC now obviously when you get to the higher levels and the national networks and stuff maybe so but at the level I was at I, I thought it was it was silly to call something the BBC I mean there were there were definite overall standards and you had to hold people to account and you had to have enough sources and they had to be credible sources and, and all the rest of it, which is basically good journalism. I did find each BBC radio station I worked really was was unique in its own way. It served its local community. So I don't know if how much of the BBC, when people talk about the BBC, I'm not sure what they're talking about. No, I mean, I think you... you the- I know people there who always uh, almost imagine that different programs and in the same way that you talk about Derby, Manchester and Leeds are different, um, almost like different brands, different titles on a, on a magazine stand or a news rack. And, and, you know, Panorama would have nothing to do with the Today programme, which would have very little to do with <laughs> with, with, um, with, with, with the six o'clock. Exactly. They're all different yeah. things. Now, I know it's been it's all been pushed together and they're sharing resource a bit more than they than they used to. But, yeah, they are all very, very uh, distinct. So yeah. and they're run by people. Um, and if you have people who don't play the game, and I'm not suggesting anybody did here or not, but people are being alleged to have not played the game and people are being alleged to have not checked on things and whatever, but you're dealing with different people and you just you, you might end up with some people who aren't maybe suitable for those roles. That's going to happen in any massive organisation, just the same as the NHS or... You know, the National Trust, and I don't know you've interviewed somebody from the National Trust who made that point, but they're run by people. They're not run by this huge monolithic power. They're run by people, and you do get people who are not brilliant. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, f- I focus so much on the boss, and of course they say it's not me, it's about the team, but I think there's there's something to be said about um, who appoints the boss 
how the bo- you know how the boss is chosen, how the boss is um, is held to task. Culture in that particular part of each organisation is usually it comes from the top. The culture can't come from below, really. It usually usually comes from the top. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Although, it, I mean, what's what struck me as interesting, which I've been able to do much more with a podcast than in, than in print, is really go from from business into leaders who are in um, charity, art, sport, healthcare, and so on. And I think with I'm very interested in charity leaders, and there's, I think there's a lot that charities and corporates can learn from each other. But the charity leader has to – I think a lot of the culture does come from within the organization. So take National Trust. I mean, they, they don't open the doors of those stately homes and all that coastline and so on every day without thousands and thousands of volunteers Yeah, um, you know, working for nothing. So I think you have to – as a leader there, you can – um, set strategy and talk about the finances. And, and Hillary McGrady, I interviewed recently, was very thoughtful about what she learned from the pandemic. But you really have to listen to all of these people who show up every day uh, because they love it. Yeah. Leading with James Ashton is at number 11 this week on the Pod 20. Number 10, Monday Morning Podcast. Bill Burr rants about relationships, sport, and the Illuminati. Number nine, Newscast from the BBC. Eight, revisionist history. Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. At seven, hidden Britain. Science and storytelling reveals the unconscious patterns that drive human behaviour. At number six, James Bond A to Z. Two of the presenters are Tom Wheatley and Brendan Duffy. Are you fans of The West Wing? I've never seen it. I've, I've never seen it, no. Okay, well, The West Wing, it's, a, it's an American political drama, and Martin Sheen plays a fictitious American president in the present day called Jed Bartlett. And he mentions something about James Bond, and I want to run the reference past you and get your take on this. So he has an issue with the vodka martini shaken, not stirred. And he says, shaken not stirred will get you cold water with a dash of gin and dry vermouth. The reason you stir it with a special spoon is so you don't chip the ice. James Bond is ordering a weak martini and being snooty about it. Uh, (laughs) They've nowhere to start with that. Well, is he right? I mean... Because I, well, I can't start well, to think, well, if you're going to shake it, yeah, all the ice is going to melt and you're going to get a weak martini. So maybe Bond yeah. is wrong and it should be stirred, not shaken. I, I mean, mean, in the Bond dialogue to a Bond. film, it sounds great, but actually as a drink, probably not. Yeah, I've been, I've, 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 in all my years of being a Bond fan, I don't think I've ever actually had a proper vodka martini shaken, not stirred. <laughs> wow. I haven't, and to I be do- honest, I, I wouldn't want one. I think I ordered one once in a Weatherspoons when I was younger and I think the person (laughs) laughed in my face. Yeah. (laughs) Did you order it like Bond? Wait, it definitely wasn't like Bond. It it wouldn't have appeared like Bond. (laughs) So did they they serve you it in the end? They poured some vodka and some martini in a glass and shook the glass and gave it to me. I mean, it was only about £2.10 at the time, so I don't, it, it wasn't the classiest. Um, but, but you've uh, actually tried one, did you say, Brendan? No, I've not tried one. I don't intend to. Oh, all yeah, right. It's... Okay, you just don't fancy it? No. Okay. You I, talk... would have one. I would have one. I think they're, they're quite a specific way to make them, though, isn't there? There's a few different ingre- uh, a few different recipes to making them, but um, 
You've made me feel like I need to have one now. I might, might make one tonight. From my memory of reading Casino Royale, which is, I think, where the, it's the first book, I think there's a he accidentally tells a bartender to put two drinks together, but he doesn't call it a vodka martini shaken, not stirred. There is a drink in that, and I wonder if then, you know, artistic license took over and it became yeah. what we it's know. It's the best for martini, isn't it, Brendan? The yeah. in Casino Royale. That's the start yeah, of it. Yeah, because the, re- the recipe's it, okay, actually yeah, in Casino right. Royale. I see. Right, I see. That's in the yeah, movie. Yeah. That's in the the, the Daniel and the book, yeah. The book yeah. actually has the recipe, doesn't it? As a, yeah. as a I can't remember yeah. now. I can't remember. Sounds but I know there's a drink in there and he, he, he just kind of throws it together and he kind of invents yeah. this drink. And that's what mm. it is. It was called a Vespa Martini. Mm. Yeah. Not a vodka martini. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know how many. That's probably an interesting thing to look at. It's probably never actually mentioned earlier in the in the Bond series. There's lots of things like that that a Bond lore that never actually appear in early early films. Butler's probably um, watching this, going, "I know all the answers to this." Because <laughs> yeah. well, in, in in the books, he drove a Bentley. He didn't drive an Aston Martin, uh, a battleship yeah. grey yeah. Bentley. It was nothing yeah. like a you know. A, well, I don't think they probably had the DB5 by the, in when the books were written anyway. Most of them. No, no. We, we covered that in our Aston Martin uh, episode and talked about how how they came to use that and um, yeah, again, it's it's interesting. The use of uh, brands is is something that is interesting in the books and also the films. It is because so, I can remember in yeah. Live and Let Die, it talk was it Live and Let Die or The Spy Who Loved Me it was another one I read. It talks about he had a, a gunmetal Ronson cigarette lighter, and I remember that being a thing. And but but seeing that you know well, there's branding in there. Which was unusual mm-hmm. yeah. for a book, and then of course they take it to extremes in the in the movies with the cars well, in, and the watches. It, it's a very clever technique that um, Fleming uses because in the books he uses branding to explain the character, which is a really good way to explain a character. You can, but basically the brands are doing the work. If you yeah. um, if you say somebody drinks a certain type of booze and it's a very famous booze associated with royalty, you yeah. can straight away understand that that, that character. The problem with the movies is that the that, that's not why they pick the brands. They <laughs> no. do a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, a man who uses a Sony Ericsson phone, you wouldn't necessarily think is a super spy. No. Um, so no. It, it doesn't it doesn't quite translate to the to the film versions of the, the, the products. What always made me laugh about them showing the films on TV in this country is because we have this weird, or TV companies have a weird phobia about advertising. It's the only place I know where they put stickers over brand names on TV and... On Blue Peter, yeah. it used to be sticky back plastic, not sellotape, and all the rest of it. Yeah. Is they had this this thing that you couldn't have these brands. Yet they would show things like James Bond films, which are loaded with product placement, and that's oh, yeah. not a problem. Yeah. It's the same TV station showing it, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you were talking about the stories of the making of the films. Isn't there some hell of a story with Thunderball? Isn't there some? Oh. Isn't that a hell Thunder- of a story? Thunderball's got whole like books dedicated to to the story of how it was made and who owned the rights. Um, in fact, I won't go into too much depth here because there is a lot to it, and I'll probably get it all wrong anyway. But um, when uh, Cubby and Harry got the rights to Bond, they they didn't get the rights to a, a couple of them, which were Casino Royale and Thunderball. They didn't manage to get the rights to, and there's a whole legal battle around. Um, the characters and all this kind of stuff around um, what films they could make. So, which is what well, one is why Casino Royale wasn't made until in the last. Well, 20 well they years. made that David Niven and Woody Allen thing that was awful, didn't they? With Peter. Yeah, Sorry, well, that was because yeah. that was. Yeah, we watched that recently. But it's that's awful. The, <laughs> that, who is it? Is that Columbia, um, Brendan? Columbia, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, so they had the rights to it, so they could make Casino Royale. 
uh, Cubby and Harry couldn't. And um, Thunderball was actually owned by another guy who who'd helped to write the script for that. Um, and then they couldn't make that as well. Um, and then there were yeah, there's a big, big story behind it. But um, eventually they managed to get they worked together on Thunderball to produce it with this guy who, who owned the rights to it. Yeah, Weird. Kevin McClory is his name. He's Irishman, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and he crops up. It's constant. And he's a character, he's though, as well, isn't he? This... Absolutely. When we get to him, that's going to be about four episodes because, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. He was trying to make a Bond film even into the noughties. So, you yeah. know, this is prolific. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and didn't yeah, Fleming get... Fleming got into trouble for ripping it off, didn't he? Didn't Ian Fleming yeah. get into trouble for ripping off his own character because apparently he nicked the Thunderball story and put it out as yeah, a Fleming well, they, were, they, were, they worked together on it because he was uh, Fleming was desperate to make Bond a, fi- a film series basically from his books he was working on this all the time so he was working on the Thunderball script with Kevin McClory and together they came up with a lot of the characters and the um, like the I think the Spectre's from Thunderball isn't Spectre, it? Spectre, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah so the, that's where the legal disputes came in because who they couldn't work out who owned the rights to these characters and all this kind of stuff um, so yeah it's uh, it was just amazing stories from the early days of Bond all sorts so there's more than there's more than just a Thunderball story about the kind of how they got made and everything is there because like Never Say Never Again from 83 that was Thunderball wasn't it remade <laughs> well, yeah, he, yeah, he, <laughs> he owned the rights to Thunderball and he so he could remake Thunderball if he wanted to which right. you know, was a bit limiting but um, obviously Sean came yeah. out for it as well but that's not a bad film actually I don't mind that one Never, I think there is Brendan some of- do you want to take that one um, well, I watched it recently because yes. we've, we've covered Connery recently, and uh, so I, I made made myself watch it. And do you know what? You're right. It's it's not bad. There are worse James does... Bond films. Oh yeah, there are. Yeah, well, A View to a Kill is one. <laughs> yes, um, but <laughs> it lacks that polish that Eon give it. You know, you've got the soundtrack, the sets. Yeah, it's it's just missing some of that uh, that, that makes a Bond film a Bond film, really. Yeah. What about the best James Bond? You, I know you're going to say Pierce Brosnan, Brendan. What about you, Tom? Um, I'm always, I say always, it changes to me quite a bit, but um, at the moment, Sean Connery. Um, you know, I think what's happening, as we started doing this podcast, my views on certain areas of the Bond films is changing. And as you watch all of the Bond films... What changes? Quite, what is it? Do you think it's age as well as you mature a bit? Oh, I think when when I first watched Bond films, I think there's a lot of them that you, you watch at a certain age and they're favourites because of that and you enjoy them because, I, I mean, I, I used to love Man With Golden Gun. That used to be one of my favourite Bond films, but I watched that when I was quite young. And now yeah. coming back to it as an adult who's actually, you know, analysing these films for their quality, you go, oh, actually, it's nowhere near as good as some of those other ones we watched, is it? Um, yeah. But that's... That's uh, Bond is a lot like that. A lot, a lot of people's views on Bond is very much tainted by when they watched it and what it was a mm. part of. Their, so your you know, favorite Bond then? Your favorite Bond? Connery, uh, no, Connery no and Connery. Goldfinger. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was. I mean, I, I didn't think there was anything wrong with Roger Moore in Live and Let Die. I think some of the later ones, including Moonraker, they, they were terrible, and it, and he was wrong for it. And he was too old and all the rest of it, but. I think Living Like Die was good, and I always liked Connery from seeing them on TV when they started rerunning them, you know, starting with Dr. No. But I saw, you know, Joe Rogan, who does a podcast. Yeah. I saw, he was interviewed, I forget who his guest was, and, and they he asked Joe Rogan who his favorite Bond was, and he said Daniel Craig. 
And the guy said, why? And he said, because he's the only one that's played Bond that actually looks like he could kill someone. Since he said that, I've thought, yeah, maybe my favorite Bond is actually now Daniel Craig. Because he, he's right. I don't know about it, yeah. Connery. Could he have? I don't know. He'd do it in a different... But, like, Daniel Craig well, looks like he could get in there and beat him to death with his bare hands. I don't think you could say that about Connery. He'd need a gun. We did a Connery episode, and Connery got up to some pretty heavy stuff in his in his younger days. I definitely wouldn't want to... Uh, yeah, and that's in real life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had said some things about women that were a bit controversial, weren't they? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of stuff around that. And also, mm. what didn't I can't remember the story now. There was there was one about him just getting into a fight with, with a gang, I think, at one point. Yeah, really? he, um, yeah, in Edinburgh. Yeah, he, he was yeah. like targeted by a gang and he, he basically roughed them up and told them to, to back off and then he got a reputation as being the hard man. So Was this yeah. after he was Bond? While he was no, famous? No, this is before, before, yeah. before Bond. Oh, okay, yeah. in real, right. Yeah. Wow, okay. Because yeah. he was a swimmer, wasn't he? Uh, I think he did a bit of swimming. He was more of a footballer and a bodybuilder. Um, right. Later on, a bit of a tennis player, but he was he was a fit guy. He was a, he was a big bloke, six foot two, I think he was. Yeah, six foot two. So. Where, where are you with George Lazenby? Well, Brandon, on the Majesty's Secret Service is up there as one of the best films. It, it is a good it's, film. It's only mm. let down by Lazenby, sadly. I just find him he's very wooden. Hmm. But he hadn't acted, so I mean that's not not his fault, is it? <laughs> Connery was a budding actor; he'd done done a Lazenby few. Lazenby was a model, few wasn't years. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con- Connery was trained. Connery knew what he was doing. But I, I actually mm. think that I I quite like Lazenby on Magic Secret Service. I was actually having a conversation with um, uh, Butler the other day about it, where I think when it, that's why what makes Bond so interesting, you have this switching of characters, and even if one isn't quite as good as the other one, it's quite nice to have that because it adds a relative level of you know, if, if you see uh, Lazenby come in and you don't really like him, then you realise how good Connery is. And then when more comes in, you, you've got the, you can compare it. But you can't do that often with films. Look at things like Mission Impossible. You know, it might be better with another lead, lead actor, but you just wouldn't ever know. Well, it gives you something to talk about on James Bond A to Z, which is at number six this week on the pod 20. At five... Conan O'Brien needs a friend. After 25 years at the late-night desk, Conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests. So, he started a podcast to fix that. In episode 133, Conan talks to Sean Penn. Number 4. Football Weekly from The Guardian At 3. Shagged Married Annoyed The only way Rosie and Chris Ramsey can have a conversation without being interrupted by a toddler or ending up staring at their phones, is by doing a podcast. Number two, stuff you should know. If you've ever wanted to know about champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then look no further. And straight in at number one. Pieces of Brittany from BBC Radio 4. Pandora Sykes pieces together the life of Britney Spears and the forces that forged it. That's it for episode 63 of the Pod 20. Thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Griff, James Ashton, Tom Wheatley and Brendan Duffy. Next week, my guest is the broadcaster and voice actor, Eleanor Hamilton, 
from Tales from the Tannoy, where Eleanor talks to voiceover artists. And Eleanor, you're originally from Yorkshire. Yeah, that's right. Uh, born in Sheffield, brought up in Leeds and um, just had, had very kind of ordinary childhood, really, you know, well, ordinary in terms of parents were divorced and, you know, separated between two different towns and stuff. But, you know, on the whole, very... What did they do for a living? No. My dad is an art historian and um, my mum was a teacher. So, okay, so quite academic yeah, then. Typical kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it wouldn't have been a totally crazy thing when they worked out that you wanted to be. It was originally in broadcasting, wasn't it? You were in radio first. How did, was, that, how did yeah. that happen then? Because you, um, oh. when you left school, is that where you saw yourself going? Not really. No, I, I wanted to be an actress, but doesn't everybody? So um, you are an actress, well, though. I have, well, I guess I. Yeah, I guess I am. Um, but one of the reasons um, I ended up in radio was by accident because my friend from school was too shy to phone a DJ, ask for a song, and I was a ballsy gobby so and so. So I was like, oh, I'll do it, um, and then got chatting to the DJ, who I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, and within a couple of years, you know, of kind of, and, uh, you know, look. It, I was 16, so there was no kind of weirdness going on or anything like that. It was just by the by the time we'd sort of chatted for a couple of years on the phone and he'd every now and again kind of asked me to, oh, I've, I've not got many callers. Can you pretend to be Sharon in Rothwell and ask for <laughs> such and such a song? So I just used to put on silly voices on the radio and help him out a little bit. Um, and then after a while, got a job doing the old answering the phones thing. And I just got interested in it. And it took a while and it wasn't something that happened straight away, but it, it just kind of went from you know, helping out at a radio, radio station to ending up on the air within two or three years and really, really liking it and really enjoying it. But I don't think with commercial radio, I don't think I was really that good at it because I think I like telling stories. And I think that with commercial radio, there's a, there's a, it's great, but I, I wasn't brilliant at announcing. I think I, if I'm completely honest, I don't think I was really interested in the celebrities. So <laughs> people would be wanting to watch television and, and talking about what was on TV last night. And I wasn't really that interested. I was probably more interested in the people who were calling in. And, you know, so I, a phone in might have been quite good for me, but I don't think anyone would have put a 19 year old in charge of a phone. in. <laughs> well, no, you know. they, they might now because we've got more stations and more formats the irony with radio is that we, we've got more stations, but there's like kind of radio is shrunk at the same time. Yeah. More uh, stations, but no choice, really. Um, yeah. They're all following roughly the same format because they're all too scared to, to really do something a bit different. That's why podcast radio is so good, because it's sharing all sorts of other stuff that's going on out there. And, th and that's why podcasting is so brilliant, yeah. because anybody really can have a voice. The difficulty, I think, is getting it out there and getting people to hear it. Yeah. And that's what Podcast Radio is all about, helping you discover brand new podcasts and supporting the podcast industry. Eleanor Hamilton from Tales from the Tannoy, my special guest next week on the Pod 20. In the meantime, you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And what will happen on the Podcast Radio chart next week? Will Pieces of Britney still be at the top of the chart? Will your favourite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. 
The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.